You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Good morning, Vine Church. It's great to see you here today. My name is James. I am an elder here and part of the preaching team. If you're new, we want to welcome you with a beautiful coffee mug that, that you can find on the outside lobby table and has like a little connect card in it. If you are not new, but you're sitting near someone who's new, the challenge is there's only five mugs out there right now. We have more. Let's see if we can run out today uh, in, in showing hospitality. Um, well, it's great to have you here. We are going to be continuing in our series on the life of David, which we began back in March. You can catch which chapter we're going to be at right up here, chapter 24. So you can navigate there in your Bibles. We have paper Bibles back there. As the scriptures kind of are longer, you know, an entire chapter, it might be helpful to see the entire thing in front of you. Um, so turn on your Bible, open up your Bible. We have ones back there if you don't have your own paper copy. Um, now, why are we doing the life of David? We have to pause, I think, periodically to figure out why are we doing this to begin with. Um, is this just about moral lessons or what's the, just to know your Bible better? Or what's, what's the whole point? Uh, well, well, each one of the stories that we encounter, you know, whether it be David and Goliath or David sparing Saul's life or David and Bathsheba, like all of these things have morals. All of these things have little life lessons for us, but that's not the point. The point is for us to see an overarching story in First and Second Samuel. By the way, it was like, it's one story, but too big to fit on one scroll, so it's divided into two. Each uh, each story has its own little piece of the puzzle, but there's a, a bigger picture once you put it all together. And even that big picture fits into the whole story of Scripture, right? So we're getting like a tiny little snippet today. It's important to put all of this in context, however. Um, the overarching story and see who it's fulfilled by or where is it fulfilled. The Bible is a story where the tension is unresolved. There's a tension in the story and it's unresolved until we get to Jesus who's crowned as king in his death and resurrection. That's ultimately where this all points. So this is this story is going to prompt questions, I'm guessing. Uh, there's some strangeness about a story from like 3,000 years ago. What's the deal with cutting a robe? Why? If you have questions, we have a, a, a sort of a process for that. You can use the QR code up here to ask a question on a Google form, and it'll go to a special channel that we use to you know, answer questions. And it might not be today. We'll see if we have some time, see how it goes. Um, if it's not today, we'll try to shoot you a message back. All right, so before we get into 1 Samuel 24, there are 23 chapters that we should at least a little bit touch on prior to us beginning chapter 24. And as a history teacher, I know that teaching history is not the most engaging all the time. Uh, so emojis is my uh, methodology to make it more engaging. Um, and you can decide whether or not I chose properly. Um, now, chapter one of, of Samuel begins with uh, the prophet Samuel, believe it or not. Um, there's a prophet named Samuel, but that's not the, who the whole story is about. Uh, the prophet Samuel is a judge to the Lord, and he has a mother named Hannah. And Hannah sings a song at the beginning of 1 Samuel in chapter 2, and among many things, sings and says, The Lord will give strength to his king. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. And this sets the theme or the thesis or the overarching like story of First and Second Samuel. Who is this king? 
who is the king going to be? Well, the Lord is going to be the one to give strength to the king, and he's not going to be an arrogant guy. So the first king we meet, the first candidate is Saul. Saul is really tall. He's really handsome, good warrior. He rises to power. He's not the guy. He, he's tested. He fails. And in chapter 13, we see that the Lord is seeking for himself a man after his own heart. And this is where the story of David picks up. So our, we began back in March. I was on the stage to talk to you about chapter 16, where David gets anointed, gets this oil poured on him. But he's just a boy at that point, and he's not going to be king for a while. He's still not king even today as we're, I mean, not king in 1 Samuel 24 in the scriptures we're looking at today. But the stories continue. David uh, shows his bravery against Goliath in chapter 17. Uh, He rises to kind of uh, be, he catches the attention of Saul, who is the king at that point. And Saul tries to spear him twice, tries to pin him to the wall twice. I don't know if I do okay with that one. (laughs) Uh, He tries to pin him to the wall twice. Um, and David's the sort of guy who's, I mean, Saul's the sort of guy who's going to try to kill David. He's unhinged. There's lots of ways that we can prove this about Saul and his jealousy. Saul at his core really wants to be king. And he also has this deep insecurity about his son being the king as well, Jonathan. And so there's stories about David and Jonathan. Um, long story short, David is on the run. David flees because, you know, he doesn't want to die. And uh, he, he's the Lord's anointed. And so he's going to be patient and rely on God's timing. Now, David on his on the run, he get he goes to a place called Nob. There's a place in, in ancient in ancient Israel called Nob, where there's these priests who kind of help him and keep him. They shelter him. Saul finds out about this, and in chapter 22, there's this horrific story of Saul killing not only the priests but like the women and the children. Saul is he's mad. Like he's th- this is not good, right? Saul is not the king who the Lord is giving strength to. Let not arrogance come from his mouth. Saul, through his actions, has disqualified himself. The the spirit of the Lord has left Saul. And so Israel needs a king whose strength is in showing mercy, whose strength is in the Lord. Saul is undeserving of this, and he's undeserving of the mercy that we're going to see today. So th- this sets the stage for when we see David and Saul encounter one another in this story, you've got to know this background so it's not just some, you know, story at face value. We need to know the background. Now, the story today is going to be about mercy. Our main point is that we ought to demonstrate and remember mercy. We ought to demonstrate and remember mercy, which will cause us to rightly praise God. So I think we have a main point slide as, a, as someone who likes to write down the main point. We ought to demonstrate and remember mercy, which will cause us to rightly praise God. And the story of David is a foreshadowing of greater mercy, mercy that involves us. The story today is not about us, but it's, it's pointing to a story where mercy is shown even to you and I, and it's going to cause us to worship and praise the one who, shown, who showed us that mercy. So to that end, we are going to be in 1 Samuel 24, and I get to invite Katie to come up and read the chapter. So settle in. If you get, if you get uh, you know, distracted, I recommend closing your eyes and listening to the story, too, if you're not able to follow along. 1 Samuel 24.
When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the prophet, no, proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Thank you, Katie. It's the Lord's word. Let's let's pray before we dive in. God, I ask that you would reveal this word to us today, what we should rightly see as something that's pointing to a greater mercy that you showed us on the cross. Lord, I ask that uh, this chapter would become new to us today, that it would cause us to worship you in in ways that we didn't quite expect. Um, Lord, I ask that you would increase and your Holy Spirit would be the one that is doing the work in this room 
and that um, all glory today would be given to you through what you've done. Lord, I ask for this scripture to be understandable to us and uh, for it to be God-glorifying as we encounter and then leave this space today. Lord, thank you. Amen. All right, let's uh, kind of go through the scripture a little bit at a time, uh, and then we'll apply it to our lives as we go. Um, we'll we'll kind of see where this where this takes us. Um, first of all, we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, you see that Saul has a lot of people, a lot of people to hunt one guy. 3,000. That's a lot of people to hunt just one guy. And he's in En Gedi, of course, by the wild goat's rocks. We all know where that is. No, me, me either. Um, I've never been to Israel, but I did find some pictures. So we can look at some pictures of, of Israel from hikingtheholyland.com, someone's little blog. Um, on the left, you have the wilderness of En Gedi. It's a real place. This is a real place. On the left there, you see uh, it's kind of barren, right? And there's crags and places to perhaps hide. And then on the right there, you see there's also some like springs. Um, there's places where you could you know, find rest, leave yourself, as it says in the scripture. And then, yeah, actually the next picture here, David, this is not necessarily the cave, uh, but this is an example of what a cave in En Gedi looks like. So a real place. For me, it helps me to see the setting so that I can kind of encounter this story where it's at. Otherwise, it's kind of mystical. Uh, it's a real place. And we're, we're looking at two real people. And Saul has many people hunting this one guy, the wild goat's rocks. And then uh, Saul went in to relieve himself in this sort of cave. And yes, this is a bathroom scene. This is what's happening here. Um, the Bible is tells it like it is. And there's probably ways that I could spend the rest of the sermon talking about this. But um, the point is, there's a reason why Saul is in this cave, right? There's, there's a reason. God has ordained it that out of all the caves in En Gedi, <laughs> but what's the, what are the odds that he would end up in the one with David and his, his men? That's, that's the setting where we're at. Saul went into relieving. He's very vulnerable in this moment, right? This is the king, and he's by himself thinking he's safe in this cave. And the men, the, I love in verse 4, David's men, they knew that this was an ordained time. But God made this moment to happen. Look at what the men say. In verse 4, they say, here's the day. Here's the day that the Lord said, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. Now, does your Bible have a footnote at, in the middle of verse 4 about where they're quoting from? It shouldn't, because they're not quoting from anywhere. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what they're quoting from. I don't know if they were like, if this, we, there's... There's kind of a question mark here if this was like a prophecy of some sort that David had heard. Um, and maybe we could talk about how they're twisting, you know, scripture or something that sounds scriptural to get their ends met. Um, I do want to point out who these men of David are. These are men who have outright stopped following Saul, who's on the throne, and started following this guy, David. Their lives are on the line. Their reputations are on the line. Their families' lives are likely on the line if we take what Saul did to the priest at Nob. So their motivation is one where they want to see David king for personal reasons, but I also think for good reasons. They want to see the Lord's anointed, David, sit on the throne. So they have motivation to want the, this good thing to happen. And I think that this is a little bit of a side lesson for us today. The overall point is mercy, but 
Do we trust in the Lord's timing? Like David's men here, do we maybe encourage our own timing for good things? This is a tough lesson. It's not the main point today, but I think uh, one side point is to trust in the Lord's timing in your life. Now, we look at the rest of verse 4 through 7. The rest of verse 4 through 7, it says that David's going to stealthily cut a corner of the robe. Uh, Saul must have probably taken off his robe at this point and discarded it. David didn't seize this opportunity to kill Saul. And it says that David's heart struck him, even though he didn't kill him. So this, there's something going on here. David could have up and killed Saul. He had, you know, reason to do so for his own safety, for his men's safety, for, you know, revenge because he's the Lord's anointed. There's lots of maybe reasons for why David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. And his heart struck him that he cut the corner of the robe. And you look here, he, he says, he, he, you know, he confesses what he's doing, and he even persuades his men with these words. So I think there's two things here. One, we ought to see ourselves in David here, in a way. We don't only rely on his actions, but we do allow what, what's going on here to inform our own actions. But we ought to see that David's actions are attuned to God's will. The Lord forbid that I should do this against the Lord's anointed. So there's parts of the scripture where we ought to see what David did here and place ourselves in there. But we also ought to see the men, see how David persuaded his men with these words. That's also a, a place for us to envision ourselves today. Maybe take, take, for instance, that David didn't say, all right, everybody, come on, sneak up and grab a corner of the robe. No, David's heart struck him, and David, he persuaded his men, hey, don't, don't sin here. He was giving a warning to his men not to sin. And there, there's a persuasion there that his men, you know, are listening to his, listening to their king. Do we listen to the rightful king and avoid sin out of persuasion? So this is, this is part of the lesson today that we should be listening to the Lord, turning away from sin, that we should be showing mercy. Little side lessons as we, as we encounter the next part. So the chapter does not end here at verse 7. I want you to maybe think that it could. Could David have stayed in the cave and then like let Saul go figure out on his own that mercy was shown to him? Like what happened to my robe? Maybe they put two and two together. Maybe they figure it out. But the chapter doesn't end at verse 7. David goes out. He goes out of the cave. David lays prostrate on the ground. This is, this is amazing bravery, if you ask me. This is like maybe more so than David and Goliath. Because you have Saul, who's the rightful king, and you have 3,000 men, and David comes out of the cave to demonstrate courage and bravery and put himself at the mercy of the one who he just showed mercy. This is amazing that David would do this. But then he even gets up and gives a speech. He gives a speech in verses 9 through 15 here. Let's look at what he, he says. He compels Saul to look says, why are you listening? And he says, look at what the Lord gave you. He gave you into my hand. 
and I spared you. David tells him, I spared you. I did not put out my hand against you. The Lord's anointed. And then he, he humbles himself not only in action but also in word here, right? He shows him the corner of the robe and he says, the Lord should judge between us. And then who are you coming after? Am I a dead dog or a bug on a dog here, a flea? And David ultimately appeals to the Lord's justice in all of this. Um, there's a, a deeper lesson that I think is a different week. We could talk about mercy and paired with justice. And where does David trust that the Lord will be just? Does, does Saul just get away with murdering the priests here? I don't think so. That's not what David is saying. It's like, hey, I'm going to spare you uh, the consequences of your sin. He's saying, no, the Lord will deal with your sin. David, David in his place says, you know what? As a created being, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show mercy and allow the Lord to be the judge. So I think this is one of our first application points today is like where, um, so I like to, you know, sort of lay out the, the application. One of them I think is for us, before we look at the rest of the chapter, is for us to show mercy where we can, to offer mercy or demonstrate mercy where we can. Remember the main point is demonstrate and remember mercy so that we can worship God. So can we, at a very concrete level, offer mercy to leaders? Offering mercy to leaders. That's kind of the immediate application point for David. Can you imagine yourself showing mercy to elected officials? Can you, can you imagine yourself extending in your heart mercy to, to Donald Trump or to Joe Biden? And if those names like, make you uncomfortable, maybe, maybe our hearts need to strike us today, like with David. Like, can we extend mercy? Now, on one level, it's actually kind of an easy way to show mercy. You don't actually unless you're interacting with those people on a daily basis, don't really need to do much. But how about those who are closer to you? Could you offer mercy to your parents? Or to your siblings? Because they don't call you, or because they do, and it's toxic when they do. Could you offer mercy to those who you have the opportunity to, to pounce on? an aloof husband, an inattentive wife, a, like I said, a brother or a sister who just says something, and you could, you could pull up something from the past and, ooh, jump on them. Can you show mercy to those people? That's, this is, I think, an application point for us to be able to show mercy. Now, there's more, like, why do we show mercy? But there's scriptures in, in Matthew here, on Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a word Jesus gives to us. Elsewhere in the New Testament, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. This is a word for us today. We ought to demonstrate, we ought to desire mercy. As created beings, we don't get to be the one in the judgment seat. As created beings, we have to recognize that God is ultimately judge. God is just. We should be more, more like David in heart here, extending mercy, and less like David's friend who want to like pounce on the opportunity to demonstrate justice. There's lots of ways we could say this about like wanting to 
I know David Jordan once talked about dunking on people. Like, could we, we, I think we like that. We want to see that done in like social media or just generally in the media and the culture. Do we desire mercy? We should let our hearts strike us. Uh, where it says in verse, what does it say about David's heart? Oh, in verse five, David's heart struck him. Other translations say his heart smote him. His heart smote him. Um, I think we're familiar with this feeling. And David let that inform his actions. We ought to extend mercy. But that's not the only application point. As we uh, continue on, verses 16 through 19, we see Saul and his reaction. How does Saul react to the mercy shown to him? He says, is this your voice, my son, David? Saul is a bad dude. Murderous jealous, full of rage, willing to pin David to a wall twice. So how does he react? Well, he weeps. He weeps. In, in reaction to this, this mercy, one who is strong can't help but recognize what's happened. And he weeps. He says, you're more righteous than I. But Saul doesn't quite keep this going. Um, Saul's concern becomes for his family. If you look, like, immediately Saul's heart, it may not be that apparent, but immediately Saul's like, oh, hold on, how about my legacy? Can you ensure that this mercy is extended even further? I know the mercy, he sees the mercy that David showed him and said, hey, how about you keep doing that, like more and more for me and my family? Swear to me that you will not cut off my offspring, right? He wants Jonathan, his son, to, to sit on the throne and to not be killed as was sort of, commonplace. And then there's this innocuous ending that they just go their separate ways. Now, David goes to a stronghold. <laughs> so what's a, and if you're not kind of familiar with what that might mean, David goes to like take up arms again. He's not, notice that David isn't king right now, right? Where do we have it? Saul says, surely you're going to be the king. I know, verse 20, I know surely you shall be king. And so Saul then takes off his crown and anoints David and says, like, this is it, everybody. No, that's not the way this happens. Saul forgets. Saul forgets the mercy shown to him. It, just peek, if you want, at what's the header for chapter 26? I'm, I'm just kind of curious in your Bible. So does it have a header above chapter 26 in 1 Samuel? David spares Saul again. We're not going to preach that one like next week or anything. <laughs> and we'll just choose 20, chapter 24. But this is a lesson. This is kind of obvious that you don't, got, you don't have to go far to see that Saul is forgetful. Saul forgets this mercy shown him. And I think there's probably some symmetry about Saul wanting to pin David to the wall twice and David showing him mercy twice. Something beautiful there. David, as a merciful king after God's own heart, is willing to show mercy more than once. We ought to, to demonstrate mercy, just like David did here. So the first application point is for us to be able to show mercy. I think the second application point is, well, if we could put ourselves in David's shoes, what if we put ourselves in Saul's shoes for a minute? Because the story doesn't end, right? First Samuel continues. And in a couple weeks, you're going to hear how David starts to fail. David is not the, the king of, of kings who sits on the throne forever. 
What we're going to find out in 2 Samuel is that God makes a covenant to say, there will be one who comes from your line who will rescue the world. It's not David. The story continues. David becomes murderous himself. We ought to remember. So this is the second application point. We ought to remember the mercy that's shown to you. And I'm talking about you and I in here. Each of us, I think, puts ourselves in the space of Saul on a weekly, daily basis where we forget the mercy that's shown to us. Now, we're not just relieving ourselves in caves that often, at least. Um, allowing our, you know, at the, at the mercy of a, somebody who could murder us. But as we confessed earlier, each one of us has fallen. Each one of us ought to be killed for our sins. The, consequ- the wages of sin is death. That's what it says in scriptures. Each one of us has sinned, and each sin, this is the heart of Christian faith, is that we have, we have, we have fallen short, but there's one who is, who is not. Each one of us has sinned. Each one of us has sinned. And we ought to remember where God has been faithful to us. And we, we carry this out here at the vine at the Lord's table. Notice in, at the scripture in Luke 22, it says, do this, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. We should be taking of the bread, taking of the cup, the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Jesus did in his body and in his blood. This is the ultimate fulfillment of this story. Is not in David, not in Saul, not in us. The story is about the person who it points to and who it ultimately is fulfilled in. The story in 1 Samuel 24 points to someone named Jesus. And here's, here's some of the light bulb moments. Like, if you didn't pay attention to anything else, like, this is, this just hit me so hard this week. The final thing for us is to praise God for what he's done. You see, Saul doesn't just discover mercy on his own. You and I, we don't discover mercy that has been shown to us on our own. David leaves the cave to call out to Saul. Do you get it? That's us. Jesus, is, he came out of the cave to show us the mercy that he extended to us in his death and in his resurrection. He didn't just leave us to discover this and like, oh, my robe got cut. No, we, he calls out to us to tell us. He demonstrates his mercy to us and doesn't leave us hanging to sort of figure it out on our own. He came to us. He calls out to us. He calls out to us each day. And this is, this is for many of you, you've heard this story before. You know that God's mercy is extended to you and you need, it's, his mercies are new every morning. Some of you, this might be the first time you've heard of God's great mercy extended to you through his son's death and resurrection. And you want to be merciful to those around you, but it's difficult. It's difficult unless you can see and remember the mercies shown to you which cause you to praise God. I want to pause and recognize that this lesson is not unique to Christianity, like showing mercy to people. Nonviolence and like this in giving of your life, being a martyr for a cause, th- these are popular things. Like maybe they're well, maybe not popular. They're noble things. They're noble. So why, why what gives 
us the right to, to talk about showing mercy? Well, it's, it's the where it came from, right? Romans 15, 9, he, Christ, also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. We give God glory because of the mercies shown to us. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And this might seem like a really strange application point, like praising God. Okay, cool, whatever. It's very amorphous. But this is, this is key. Um, there's a, an atheist named Christopher Hitchens. And he, uh, he, has a, he had a common challenge to people who were religious. And here's, here's what his challenge was. He said, you have to name or cite a moral action performed or a moral statement made by a believer that could not have been made by an atheist. So where, where do we stand in, dif- like in difference to someone who is an atheist on this merciful, like this merciful uh, application point? And I think it's that why we show mercy. The most moral action we can do is to praise God, to give God glory. That's the answer, Christopher Hitchens. The story isn't about Saul. It's not about David. It's not even about us. It's about who it points to. We need to place ourselves in the shoes of Saul. Can you imagine a time when you were in a dark cave? Maybe you were oblivious to the sin wreaking havoc in your life. And like David, who spared Saul, we can look to Jesus, who spares us. We, each of us, deserve to be ambushed and killed. But God, being great in mercy, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. This is showing infinite mercy and also infinite justice. Not only were all sins forgiven, but all sins were paid for on the cross by Jesus. And it doesn't end there. Jesus comes out of the cave, comes to call you, And every day, like David, Jesus is calling to us to come to him. So I ask us to meditate on this this week. That we offer mercy and remember the mercy shown to us. And we praise God for it. Um, It was heavy news when I learned that Tim Keller had passed away this week. Um, If you're not familiar with Tim Keller, he's pretty influential Christian author, evangelist. And um, I, I thought there would be nothing better than to, to kind of close with some quotes that Tim Keller had actually about this, this very concept of mercy being extended um, in First Samuel. Here's what Tim Keller said. He said, because you and I live only by God's mercy, it would be absolutely unjust for us to withhold mercy from anyone else. And then as far as extending mercy, here's what else he says. He says, when you see the true king, the Lord's anointed, loving you, that will make you love him. And as you do that, it will enable you to love other people. Let's pray. God, we are forgetful people. You ask us to show mercy, but we forget. Lord, I ask that you would have us remember the mercy extended to us in your son Jesus' death and resurrection that we can enjoy newness of life with you, that the confidence of someone who's a soldier of faith like Tim Keller, that that confidence would be one that we can also have because of what you've done, that we know 
that there is an eternity with you that we are undeserving of. You demonstrate mercy to us. May we, may we remember it and then praise you. To you be the glory. Amen.